Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Well, you know, unfortunately, we see a lot of shows like Lock Up and so forth that pro- portray a certain subset of what goes on in prison. And, you know, that's real. But there's a lot of things that are not necessarily shown all the time that are really positive. Um, you know, I had no experience with prison, never been in a prison before I stepped in San Quentin the first time. So I didn't, I had the same sort of perception that most people do. San Quentin is a very ominous looking place and it has death row. It has all the death row it made for California. So I thought, you know, this is a, a sort of a, a place where people go to serve out their time. And, you know, a lot of these guys are beyond any type of help. Mm-hmm. That was my perception. And for most people, I think that's the case. What happened for me, even the first time I went in and started talking to the guys and, and I did a presentation to a small class about entrepreneurship and I did not have any idea that the response that I would get would be so amazing and deep. These guys were just thirst thirsting for education, thirsting for a conversation about things that they were um, so interested in. The guys wanted to start businesses. They wanted to learn. And um, it really immediately changed my perception of that. And what we try to do a lot now is bring people in. I, like I bring in portfolio CEOs. I bring in people that I know, other investors and whatnot. We have demo days in there where the guys pitch their ideas and they're phenomenal. And every person that walks out has a different perception. And that person becomes an ambassador of what we're doing. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Chris, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Glad to be here. So, you know, I came across your story uh, on the TED.com website uh, that said you're a venture capitalist who is teaching incarcerated people how to write code. And I was immediately drawn to it. So I tweeted you right away and said, you know what, I really would love to help you spread the message of this story. Um, you know, I've been starting the show a little bit differently than I have in the past, and I, I want to start with a question that I've asked a handful of people that I found has been really informative, and that is, what is the most important lesson that you learned while growing up or during childhood from a parent, teacher, or coach that has influenced and shaped the work that you've ended up doing and kind of how you've lived your life today? I think the most important thing, you know, I was a competitive athlete early on, um, competitive runner, and, and uh, part of it is just uh, a couple things. One is that if I wasn't particularly blessed with a huge amount of talent, mm -hmm. so part of it is how can you let efficient sort of uh, training and approach and just potentially outwork to accomplish what you want to do and, and try to improve so I think that is something that I've, I've sort of had this go-for-it mentality all along, regardless of what I'm doing, that I'm really just completely immersed in it and trying to win. And I think that really comes from, from that sort of competitive background of having to not be as particularly as talented, but realizing that work could overcome some of that. So... Um, and also really being inspired by what I'm doing, you know, mm -hmm. doing something that I really enjoy. And fortunately for me, early on, I was hired by Reebok, uh, you know, early in the company when it was just sort of nascent and went through the almost legendary growth during the 80s of, uh, and, you know, in 1988, uh, overcoming Nike as number one um, shoe, shoe company in the world. That didn't last very long, but mm -hmm. just going through that huge growth. And also, uh, at the same time, being competitive runner and being that environment, I never felt like I was working. It was just the most inspiring uh, time where I was working with and competing with guys that I really enjoy being around and, and always have those competitive juices going. And I've, I've really tried to continue that throughout my career. I think the other analogy as well is, since I was a long-distance runner, as we approach business, we hear this sort of overused phrase of, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Um, you know, I, I definitely live that physically. So mm -hmm. as I approach business uh, and as we start talking about TLM, it's the same thing about, you know, this is a long-term, lifelong project that we're involved in, realizing that, you know, we're going to have bumps in the road. But if we maintain that long-term vision that, 
you know, we'll accomplish what we want to do. So I think those, that experience and those analogies early on for me have helped me throughout my career. You know, I think that it's interesting that you had the foresight to realize that doing work that inspired you uh, was so important at an early age. And I, I feel like a lot of young people miss that. I know I certainly did because I remember my entire filter for how I would choose was literally based on, you know, what the paycheck was. Uh, yep. And I was in early in the Silicon Valley days, and I told this story before. Uh, I met a guy in a coffee shop uh, about probably 15 years ago, and his name is Orrin Hoffman. You may have heard of him. Sure. Yeah. And I, I very distinctly remember, and I'm almost positive it was him, because I remember he told me, he said, I don't have a lot of money. I can't pay you anything, really, uh, but you'll learn a ton. And I chose not to work at that job. And I, I always think, wow, how many potential opportunities and how much room for growth did I miss out on? Yep. And so I, I guess the question is, you know, uh, and I've asked this to people in various forms, why do you think that at a young age we're not aware of the importance of finding meaning in our work? I think it's sort of, you know, we're, it's sort of we're exposed to a tradition and uh, certainly the, the American way before, so to speak, was you know, grow up, get an education, get a job, and, you know, get married, support a family. If you think about sort of the, the traditions that we have been exposed to throughout, we're starting to see those traditions changing. Um, and I came from a pretty traditional family. I was the youngest of three boys, and um, I dropped out of college. Uh, I, I ended up graduating, but I dropped out of college sort of midterm to, to explore things I wanted to do. One of those things, I just had this fascination with open water sailing. So I took off a year and, and I sailed to Hawaii, sailed around and, and um, you know, had that whole immersive experience. And I came back and my parents sort of wiped their brow and said, oh, he got that out of their, his system. And then, <laughs> then I took another year and I went to Alta, Utah and got completely immersed in skiing. Uh-huh. Um, because those are things that, that were really important to me. And I'm like, if I don't do it now, I'll never be able to do it. So um, I think that's sort of, for me... Uh, were how I've sort of carried out throughout my life and, and not being irresponsible necessarily, but doing things that I was really passionate about. So break that tradition was really sort of difficult for me and my family. Mm-hmm. They're happy that, you know, I came back to the fold. But, um, but I think we're seeing that now today where obviously, especially when we're talking about technology, we see, you know, Peter, Peter Thiel's idea of, you know, drop out of college and I'll fund you for your new idea or the fact that you can be a great coder and not have a degree or you can drop out and you know if you drop out of Harvard you're guaranteed to be successful it's right. you know, sort of tongue in cheek but you know we're seeing those traditions starting to break uh certainly as far as education and a pathway um that certainly from my generation was very very much a legacy and a tradition that when you did something unusual as I did you know, your family, your friends kind of like, oh, you know, he's, he's going sideways. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's never going to come back. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's it's only going to change more and more and more, I think, as things become more sort of a la carte in a sense. Yeah. I mean, the way we're consuming is more a la carte. We're just breaking traditions and, and breaking sort of packaged way we've lived previously. And it's only going to continue. So, you know, as a surfer, I, I can completely appreciate what you're saying because I have had a very similar experiences. And as you might imagine, coming from an Indian family, when you do something as crazy as that, they're like, you've lost your mind. Yeah. Um, the, the question, I guess, is do you think those kinds of immersive experiences where we get deeply absorbed in something which, you know, on the surface appears to have absolutely nothing to do with our work, which, you know, in a million years, I would have never guessed, you know, all the, the work stuff I've done around surfing would lead to actually writing a book. Uh, using surfing as a metaphor for life. So I, I'm just curious, do you think that those kinds of immersive experiences are necessary in order to find sort of the deeper meaning in our lives and sort of become, you know, who we're meant to be or who we're destined to be? Yeah, I think so. Without getting too deep, I think just the idea of becoming immersive. I mean, when you start a company, you have to be totally immersed in what you're doing. So I think the same sort of mindset approach, you know, is, is that approach. Um, so I think it translates just a matter of how you approach things translates what you're doing and, and you know, how you're, how you're going to be successful in that. I think it really does help. And unless you have that experience, it doesn't matter if it's surfing or sailing or skiing. It's if that is something that you've embodied that you can sort of replicate in other situations. And certainly if you can replicate that in business, 
And I think it really is beneficial. So if you've never had that experience of really sort of commitment, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, I'm a venture capitalist, so it's like we want commitment from our, from our CEOs and from our founders. But I think if you've never experienced true commitment, maybe you don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. So you told me about what you've learned about running and how running taught you about sort of this idea of a marathon. I'm curious what you've learned about business, human behavior, psychology, and people from the sailing experience and the skiing experience that you've applied to the work that you do today and the work that you've done throughout your career. Well, I think part of it is certainly with sailing, you know, when I, I, uh, I'm dating myself, but, uh, when I sailed to Hawaii, it was 1976 and there was nothing, there was no GPS. Uh-huh. So you, you know, we used navigational, um, you know, celestial navigation using a sextant to navigate. So you have to be very self-reliant there, you know? And I think that, that was really important. Again, friends and family thought I was crazy because, you know, you get out in the middle of ocean and nobody knows where you are. Um, so you literally lose contact from hundred miles out until you're hundred miles within your destination. So I think a lot of that is self-reliance and, and, and really dependency on other things that you have to learn. I mean, you know, to navigate is not an easy skill. So you have to learn that and to hit a dot in the ocean takes a lot of sort of precision. So I think that's certainly, uh, something that I learned, um, I think from skiing, I learned that if I did it too long, I would enjoy it too much and I would never accomplish anything. <laughs> so, so I cut it off at a year saying, this could last 20 years because it's too much fun. So I learned that, I guess. Huh. Um, so you know, a lot of the traits that you're talking about that come from these sort of immersive activities like skiing, running, uh, it, they don't strike me as the kinds of things that you could learn by sitting down and reading a book or you know, attending a class where somebody teaches these sort of things. So you know, for people listening who are running companies, working on creative projects, whatever it might be, I mean, how do you develop those kinds of skills? And, you know, what have you seen as the impact uh, in the people that you've worked with and the founders that you've invested in and also everything you've done? Uh, like, what kinds of impacts do those skills have going forward? Well, again, I think it comes back to doing something that you really want to do. You know, it has to be something that's really ingrained and embedded in, in you know, your psyche and your motivation. Um, whether it's something that you really enjoy or something that you're trying to solve a problem. I don't think you can ever get to that level of commitment unless it's something that is really deep-seated in, in, inside of you and something that really motivates you. So, um, you know, part of our job, because we, we're investors in, in early-stage companies, is to try to identify that, mm-hmm. try to sort of suss that out when we're talking to founders. Um, is this something that, you know, is that, deep-seated in them? Is that something that they're really motivated about? Is it something they're really passionate about? And, and, you know, again, it gets, those are sort of overused sometimes, but that's what we have to do is be able to identify if this is, this is someone or a group that is really uh, dedicated and motivated, committed to, to, to that path that they've selected. And uh, again, when we invest, we're talking about a relationship for us that's going to last five, seven, potentially 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand that, you know, early on, we spend a lot of time with our founders because that's our job really as seed investors is to, to really be very value add at that point. You know, as the company progresses, we have sort of less communication with them because then it really becomes a sort of a growth dynamic. Um, but regardless, we're, we have a relationship for a long time. Um, so I think we have to be on par with how we view things and, you know, we are as, as sort of into what we're doing and as committed to our group of portfolio as they should be there, a company. So I think we have to be sync synced in how we look at things. Yeah. You know, um, in addition to the, the sort of intrinsic motivation and drive that these people come to the table with, um, what have you seen as patterns in the people that have really just went out and achieved everything they've wanted to and been successful? And what have you seen as, as patterns in the ones that you kind of look at and thought, okay, you looked back and realized you made a mistake on? Yeah, I think part of it is uh, people that are you know, the way I have sort of an acronym I, I look at, it's, uh, you know, um, passion, presence, and perseverance. We look at those three sort of qualities. And um, those are important because, you know, we talked about passion already, but yeah. the perseverance piece is they have to be able to deal with a lot of things, obstacles in the way. 
Um, and sometimes if you're, if you don't have a relationship with someone, you don't really know if they're going to be able to deal with that long-term, hopefully as we do a lot, you know, we have a, a pretty decent network. So hopefully someone within our network knows that person or has worked with that person or something so that we can identify that. And the presence piece is, is that person someone that can effectively lead because when you're obviously you need presence to be able to pitch and and um, uh, for f- funding you have to be able to to have be a, the the front of a company but you also have to be able to lead and that presence is is super important when you're talking about leading a company um, so those type of traits we li- really look for and good leaders are good listeners and I think that's that's really a key for us also that especially as I said before we're spending time with these young companies, we don't expect to them to adopt everything that we suggest, but we also want to be able to have an exchange and, and good communication. So those leaders that are good communicators, that are very open and transparent with us, and that also will take suggestions and will be open to dialogue, I think those are the traits that really work. The ones that don't, it's interesting because we, we look at our portfolio constantly as far as evaluating where they sort of are on the success metric and you know uh, really to the company most of them are very good communicators and um, I think that really helps there's a few outliers but for the most part those are ones that we communicate very well with and consistently mm-hmm. um, the perseverance piece I, I, I can't help but ask about just because you know we've seen so much in the media about things like founder depression and the psychological aspects of all of this you know I've had Jerry Colonna here and we did a, a really interesting talk about you know so many of the things and you know I think there's even an article on Inc about the psychological price of entrepreneurship um, so a couple of questions come from that uh, you, you mentioned the ability to navigate obstacles and I've asked this in, in various forms to different people do you think that the ability to navigate obstacles and the resilience that uh, is brought about by that is only something that you can get through the experience of going through something difficult or is that something that can be inherently like can people just be brought up with that naturally uh boy i don't know if i can answer that um uh, you know effectively i mean i i think if you've gone through it before you know you can go through it again yeah but i've seen people that are very young and experienced deal with it um deal with obstacles very well mm-hmm. um you know, I, I have to think that having a good support system really helps in that. But some are just, I think, inherently uh, uh, able to deal with it better than others. Um, but certainly, if you've had experience with that, I mean, look, I've been through two downturns in my career. So it's like I know what it feels like to get beaten up. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one thing is you look for signs for that. And also you, from experience, know how to deal with things that you probably in the past could have done more elegantly. <laughs> um, so I think having experience certainly is beneficial. But, but I've seen you know, young folks that are you know, first-time entrepreneurs be stuck with something really difficult and be able to come through it very effectively. So you know, I think it could be trained yeah. um, and it could be just something that m- some people have a better, uh, you know, better way of dealing with than, the, than others. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I, you know, I, I ask questions. That, that's the kind of question that I don't expect a concrete answer to because I know there isn't one. It's always just interesting to hear the perspective that people yeah. have uh, on it. And I, I think you brought up something that's really critically important, which is a support system. Like I realize so much of what we do here, uh, you know, at our show and, and, you know, running our company. We couldn't do it without the team that's around us. And I think that's one of the most sort of underrated things. Like, you know, you've got this sort of hero mentality because somebody is always in the spotlight because we have these public presences. But you you kind of, if you start to look at it, like behind every one of these people who's done something is an insanely talented team. Well, that's it too. I mean, I have a, a great support system. I mean, my wife is probably my biggest support system. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to have someone who, like that, who is, my wife, my business partner, and everything else wrapped into one. I think mm-hmm. it's very unusual. Um, but also just people around me that I can consider mentors to help me. It doesn't matter where you are sort of on the hierarchy of success in a sense. You always need to have those exterior sort of external voices that you trust. Um, you know, it's Bill Campbell, who's legendary in, in Silicon Valley, just passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a mentor to Stephen, Steve Jobs and the guys at Google and, you know, various other people that were at sort of the pinnacle of career, but they still needed that external voice. And I think that's really important. And I, we can't lose sight of that. So we try to be that for some of our young companies, but also, you know, I reach out to those that I trust in, in a somewhat of an inner circle for the same support. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. Um, I'd love to talk about uh, where things go from working at Reebok to becoming a venture capitalist who teaches prisoners how to code. Uh, what so is na- the- it's just a natural progression. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'll tell you, when you say that, it, it makes me think of something I wrote on this post on Medium that has, has gotten quite popular. Uh, I said, you know, after 700 interviews, I've noticed one pattern, and it's that straight and narrow paths very rarely lead to interesting destinations. <laughs> I like it. So, so speaking of straight and narrow paths uh, not leading to interesting destinations and yours being incredibly interesting, how do you go from working at Reebok to being a venture capitalist who teaches prisoners how to code? Yeah, so I, uh, I left Reebok in, in uh, the early 90s, and some guys that I were working, was working, or I was working with on a different project um, were putting something together that they called a online community and online yellow pages. Um, and this is the days of Prodigy and CompuServe and, and early days of AOL. And it was fascinating to me because you know, I went through this 
uh, huge explosive growth with Reebok. You know, it was uh, we went from when I joined the company was doing about ten million in sales. When I left, we were doing about four billion in sales. So it's like that growth. You think I'm never gonna have that experience. Lightning's never gonna hit twice for me. And then I saw the internet. And I thought, oh my god, this is this is could be huge. Uh, so I got involved with these guys. It was called On Village and um, worked with them. Uh, the company was sold about two years later to Super Pages, and that sort of just struck me as my first experience in this nascent thing called the Internet, and that was in 1995, 96. Um, and uh, I worked for a while uh, for a company called Money Mailer and helped them launch their online coupons. Uh, it was a direct mail house. And from there, I met a guy who uh, we basically had very similar sort of enthusiasm and interest in the web. And, you know, again, it was very nascent in, in, um, in commercialization of the web. But we started a company called Ad Auction, which was the first uh, media exchange buying and selling media. Um, and we launched that in 1997. Um, so that really, and that was here in San Francisco. So that really sort of launched me into it. But, um, you know, when I first got involved with On Village and, and sort of in the, in the mid-90s, I had to do a lot of, a lot of uh, learning and, and understanding. And, and again, I think we were all at that point learning about what the internet could be. Um, and really, so that was the launch for me. And from then I've, I've uh, been involved in several companies, several acquisitions and started um, uh, angel investing in 1998 as I was developing at auction. And one of the first companies I invested in was a company called Omniture. Uh, and I met this guy, Josh James, a young guy at a BYU, and I met him here in San Francisco, and he really didn't know anybody, and we had lunch, and I was so struck by him, and he had all three Ps right away. I knew right then, and uh, I literally came back to my office. Beverly was working as a consultant for the company um, at the time, even before we were married, and I said, I met this guy. I'm going to invest in him. You need to invest in him, too, and, you know, Sort of long story is Omniture became a public company in 2006 and was was very successful. So um, one of my very first investments became a very you know successful exit, and I that really sort of um, I was struck with the investment bug even then. Um, <clears throat> so we you know I continued to angel invest, and about six years ago we formalized our fund and launched Transmedia Capital. Um, with a fairly narrow focus of digital media, commerce, and so forth, and it's expanded since then. But um, we're on our second fund with Transmedia Capital. Uh, the fund one has done extraordinarily well. We have um, several quote-unquote unicorns in the portfolio. So um, very knock-on-wood lucky that um, the timing of such coming out of 2008, 2009, coming out of the trough there, we were able to really take advantage of some great companies, um, some really great economics. Things were very, very frothy then, and those companies have done extremely well. But um, I really think that coming from an operational background has helped me and my partner as well. We both came from less traditional backgrounds to become venture capitalists. And I think that's really helped us a lot because we've had multiple companies. Some have worked, some haven't. We've raised a lot of money as entrepreneurs pitching VCs. So there's a lot of empathy across the table for those, uh, those people that are, that are coming to us for support. Um, so that's really sort of an untraditional path, but uh, it seemed to work for me. Hmm. Uh, so two questions from that. Uh, you mentioned Reebok going from, you know, uh, what you saw in sales when you started to what you did, what it was doing when you left. And then, of course, all these successful exits. I'm curious throughout this process um, how you've maintained two things. One is the intrinsic motivation that you have for what you do. Uh, and two is momentum. And then, of course, the other is how this has all altered your perspective on wealth and money. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to be in a successful situation early on. So I learned what freedom was early and, um, you know, I'm not particularly, um, interested in stuff, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm more interested in doing things that I want to do. So I, I think success allows for freedom and that's been the most important thing for me. It's a, it's less about, you know, acquiring things. It's more about the ability to do what I want to do. And, um, you know, that sort of leads in, you were asking the question of, you know, then how does it lead to teaching guys inside to code? Well, we had the sort of, 
uh, financial independence and also the wherewithal to start a program um, on our own dime and dictate how we wanted to do it without someone else telling us what to do. And, um, you know, we were very, uh, we're working within the California Department of Corrections and um, we started the program six years ago called The Last Mile. Mm -hmm. And that program, the initial uh, curriculum was teaching entrepreneurship inside prison. Um, but I, I, when I went to Sacramento to get approval through the governor's office, um, when I went to finish the meeting and we went to the door to finish and I put my hand out, normally the handout is sort of like, okay, I want this from you. My handout was I wanted to shake their hand and say, I'm looking for permission. Um, so I think that was a little surprise to them because normally they're, you know, people are asking for financial support and whatnot. I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for their support to allow me to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And um, we, were, we were asking to do some things that were very unusual um, within the, the sort of the current legacy of how things were done. And, and one of those was allowing the guys in our program to be actively involved in social media, which means they would write and we'd publish what they write. Um, so that was a little scary um, initially, uh, and everything had to be uh, approved through and sent to the administration for approval before we published it. But what happened was this transparency of what the guys were writing about their experiences and, and what they were dealing with and what their hopes and dreams were about really got huge amount of response. I mean, if you go on Quora today and you look up some of the profiles of the last mile, they write very clearly and somewhat graphically about their experiences and this amount of response that came back to the community was huge about, you know, my loved ones dealing with this or I'm dealing with issues and I'm what you said and how you get through this is helping me and all these kind of things um, was really amazing. Uh, so that whole experience and transparency really um, was a huge positive and um, we weren't really sure what that was going to be, but certainly now CDCR and, and, um, and the state has been hugely supportive. Now they are actually helping to support some of the growth within the, the program. But initially they were very concerned about that. We really um, used that momentum to do something that I, I wanted to do earlier on, but didn't have the sort of credibility and, and the confidence uh, until I showed that we could have some successes to be able to propose this. But, but I proposed the idea that we would start a technology incubator inside San Quentin as a, an initial location where we teach coding. And we would also set up a joint venture where the guys inside who still had time to serve could actually do outsource coding for private companies. Yeah. Um, so that was a pretty big ask. And unless I had you know, some sort of credibility and, and results in the past, they probably wouldn't have gone for it. But um, right now, just to give you a sense of where we are, um, we, we're on our uh, going to our third year of coding in San Quentin. We've expanded to other facilities. We should be in six by the end of the year, including at least one women's facility. We're teaching HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, some Python, uh, Adobe Suite design, and also uh, WordPress. So these guys will come out with some solid proficiencies in those skills. It's a year-long program, two cohorts uh, that they have to get through. But they will come out as employable, you know, I would say junior software engineers. But um, that's a huge uh, step forward for many of these guys learning a trade. And within San Quentin, we have uh, 22,000 square feet there that used to be the old print factory that we converted into this technology center where we'll have uh, connectivity in there, not to the local machine where the guys are, but to uh, the facility where we can do remote instruction and we can do work for private companies, as, as I said before. If you're... if if people are used or are familiar with uh, South of Market Soma area where there's a lot of sort of the lofty buildings and the, the old brick buildings, this has a lot of that feel to it. It's a high ceiling and big space. It probably would rent for like 80, 80 bucks a foot in San Francisco. Um, but uh, it's a great location. We've had to do a lot of upgrades to it. But we look at this as being the sort of template for what we can take moving forward. We basically package our own curriculum that we want to license to other facilities. So the goal is to really get a, um, 
a foothold in California, launch those locations, and then take it out beyond that. And uh, I look at, so three, four, five years from now, that this would be a national program that would be in many, many states that are teaching this employable skill, taking the dozens and hundreds that we would have in California to thousands of people that are graduating and become employable and breaking that cycle of, of recidivism, which today nationally stands at about 60%. So, you know, 60% of the guys that are getting out, guys, men and women, um, are returning to prison. We want to reduce that. And, you know, obviously there's a huge cost savings there. So that's sort of the ultimate goal, sort of a long, long answer to that. But that's, that's really where we want to be. Wow. Um, and this is really why I wanted to have you on the show, because I had so many questions about this. Uh, I, I'm curious about two things. Uh, what were your own perceptions of the incarcerated prior to this and how have they changed? And what perceptions do you think that we uh, on the outside world, based on what we consume in the media, have about all of this? Well, you know, unfortunately, we see a lot of shows like Lock Up and so forth that pro- portray a certain subset of what goes on in prison. And, you know, that's real. But there's a lot of things that are not necessarily shown all the time that are really positive. Um, you know, I had no experience with prison, never been in a prison before I stepped in San Quentin the first time. So I didn't, I had the same sort of perception that most people do. San Quentin is a very ominous looking place and it has death row. It has all the death row inmates for California. So I thought, you know, this is a, a, sort of a, a place where people go to serve out their time. And, you know, a lot of these guys are beyond any type of help. Mm-hmm. So that was my perception. And for most people, I think that's the case. What happened for me, even the first time I went in and started talking to the guys and, and I did a presentation to a small class about entrepreneurship and I did not have any idea that the response that I would get would be so amazing and deep. These guys were just thirst, thirsting for education, thirsting for a conversation about things that they were um, so interested in. The guys wanted to start businesses. They wanted to learn. And um, it really immediately changed my perception of that. And what we try to do a lot now is bring people in. I, like I bring in portfolio CEOs. I bring in people that I know, other investors and whatnot. We have demo days in there where the guys pitch their ideas and they're phenomenal. And every person that walks out has a different perception. And that person becomes an ambassador of what we're doing. So I've never really sort of hard pitched what we're doing. I just say, give me two hours, come in and see what you think. And they walk out and they become um, evangelists. And many of them continue to help volunteer and so forth. So um, it's become very viral in that respect. And you know, media has come in since then, you know, sort of the word got out a little bit. So um, we've been covered by many media um, sources, CNN, CBS, you know, Today Show, USA Today, Wall Street Journal. They've all sort of covered what we're doing. And that's really helped promote uh, this idea of, um, you know, people can rebuild their personal brands. They can change. They can be productive members of society. They don't all have to just return to prison. And even guys with violent crimes, I mean, within our program, majority of the guys that are in there for violent crimes, mm-hmm. many of the guys are there um, as early uh, people. You know, they they do this, uh, their crimes and whatnot as teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a guy right now that is interning for us at our venture firm. He was incarcerated at 16 years old, served 22 years, basically grew up in prison. Um, and he's been out, he got out March 4th and he's interning for us and he's one of the hardest working guys you'll meet. Um, and he's think about all the things that you have to learn and how technology changed, but he never even drove a car before. Uh So, you know, that, those are the type of, of, of transitions that we deal with a lot, but that he is not that, um, different from most of the guys in our program. Have you seen uh, situations that have disappointed you when it comes to this, where people come out and they, they don't come out with the outcomes? And of course, you know, in addition to what you just told me, are there outcomes that have just stunned the hell of you, out of you? And are there portfolio companies that you guys have invested in that have been started by any of these people? Uh, we're in the midst of uh, doing uh, two guys are doing nonprofits that, uh, that we're helping with right now. 
We fortunately, knock on wood, we haven't had anybody reoffend. So we have our we have zero recidivism. Our graduates. Um, I'll tell you what, though, it's a very rigorous program, and it's it's a. Um, uh, we make the guys if they want to be in the program, they have to sign an oath of commitment. It's a zero tolerance program, which means that if they have an infraction inside, they're immediately terminated from the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that carries over that oath of commitment basically says that while you're inside, if you do anything detrimental to the program, you're immediately terminated from the program. But also after you are released, your commitment is to be part of this community for life. Um, and these guys have really lived that Vinny, who I just mentioned, who got out recently, um, the day that he got out, we got him a phone and I think he got at least a dozen phone calls from guys in the program supporting him. (laughs) Guys came over and visited him. It's amazing that just this, no one wants to fail. And I think that's part of being in a community where recidivism is so high that you could say, you know, I could do something and I'll take my chances. These guys consciously think about if I do something wrong, I'm letting down all my brothers. You know, they really think about that. So that community aspect is critically important. So um, in terms of getting sort of the rest of the workforce and the rest of of the companies in the world who are hiring, uh, how to embrace this and, you know, look past the fact that these guys are incarcerated, that they've served time. And what has that process been like, like changing the narrative that people have about these people that don't necessarily know, uh, you know, what you guys have been able to achieve? Yeah, it's, well, I, I did go out early on and ask a few favors, to be honest with you, with companies in our portfolio saying, you know, would you be open to provide an internship for a graduate. And basically the expectation is that the internship is, is a paid internship. It's between $15 and $20 an hour, and it's a commitment of four months. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was a huge ask. Um, but what turned out was that the guys that got out were their work ethic, their attitude, their commitment, just their, the way they're approaching things was so positive that they went in the workplace and they earned respect right away. The other thing was I talked about earlier about transparency. Um, I wanted everyone in the company to know that there wasn't anything they couldn't ask them. They could ask them about their background, their experience in prison, anything. So I didn't want people to walk around on eggshells thinking, oh, I I can't step in an area that might be sensitive. There's no area that's sensitive. You can can ask these guys anything. And I think that really set people at ease. Uh Um, But it was just the idea that these guys were so motivated, they're working so hard, and this, this entitlement that sort of pervades Silicon Valley a little bit, I think about, you know, I'm owed something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could look at somebody and say, one of our graduates, and, and if you're having a bad day, you think, that guy's had a really bad life so far, right? And look at how hard and motivated they're working. Um, it really served as an inspiration. Since then, you know, we've had multiple obviously placements there and you know the the profile and the size of the company we're dealing with is growing um and this awareness is growing as well uh, mark zuckerberg came and visited our program in october of last year and we had a lot of discussions about how that will change culture potentially in, in companies like facebook so we've had uh other ceos that I can't talk about yet because we haven't sort of launched a program, Mm -hmm. but brands of people listening would be very familiar with that we're talking about placement programs within those companies. So I really am confident within the next year or so, you're going to see a a change in dynamic and companies that are of high profile that are allowing and being receptive to hiring those that may have come from a criminal background. Well, this has been really cool. Um, and I am I'm really, you know, honored that you took the time to join us and I, I, you know, really thrilled to be able to help spread the message to our audience. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish, uh, all our interviews of the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's, you know, being very, uh, unique and, um, very true to oneself that they're trying to, to sort of follow their own path and take their own and not necessarily, take other people's suggestion on how they should be, Mm. um, to truly be their own self. And, um, I, as we've talked about before, try to live that, but, um, you know, 
you may not necessarily take a conventional path, but you really have to follow what is in your heart, so to, so to speak. And that really makes, I think, people genuine, authentic, and unmistakable. Awesome. Well, uh, like I said, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. I think they're going to really enjoy this. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. You look at the way other people have succeeded and you have to make a decision. I can either follow what they did and try to outdo them or I can pick a completely different path and be the greatest at that. And I remember looking at remember looking at my brother and my sister and being like, okay, well, you know, my thing isn't going to be academics. It's not going to be athletics. So I'm going to go into marketing because that's what you do when you're not good at athletics and academics. (laughs) (laughs) Author Sally Hogshead joins us to talk about creating work that's impossible to resist. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.